Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you for being here again. You're welcome, Kyle. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, we always like to start off with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for our Angelus today? Yes. You know, on, on uh, Monday, on New Year's Day, of course, it's the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, but mm -hmm. also the World Day of Prayer for Peace. So I thought it's good at the beginning of this new year to pray for peace in the world. Excellent. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. In this show, Bishop Kevin Rhodes talks about the soon-to-be-launched program for new permanent deacons in our diocese. Then it's on to the epiphany and the various times God has revealed himself throughout history. Afterwards, Bishop talks about the feast days we celebrate this week and answers questions submitted by listeners. Submit yours at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we first of all want to thank everybody that came last week for the Cupertino Classic. It's always great to see so many families and, and individuals from the diocese supporting our seminarians, supporting our priests, having some fun, and it's always good to see the, the priests and seminarians in, involved in some friendly competition. So, Yeah, Kyle, I, did you go? I did. I, yes, I took my boys. Oh, good, yeah. good. You know, I wasn't able to make it this year because I was home visiting my family, yeah. but I remember last year how much I enjoyed the game, so I'm glad everyone had such a great time. And we actually have a little wager to settle, but maybe we'll save that for the end of the show. Okay. Uh, speaking of vocations, uh, we have a new diaconate program starting up. Yes, you know, we're... We're kind of coming near the end of our formation of our Hispanic men for the permanent diaconate, and I'm really looking forward to ordaining them. It's such a great group, and I'll be ordaining them in the spring. But while we're um, finishing this la these last months of their formation, we're also beginning to take applications for a new program in English that we will begin. The program will begin in January 2019, okay. so a year from now. But in these coming months, we'll have information sessions and um, 
you know, we need months in order to do the proper application process and, and all of that. So I'm really grateful to Deacon Stan Lemieux. Deacon Stan is the director of formation. He's done a wonderful job directing the program for our Hispanic deacon candidates. And I'm so glad that he agreed to to head up the new formation program. And I also appointed a, a board, a formation policy board, that will, will help him, a, a wonderful committee, a wonderful board of people who will help in designing the program, but also in the screening of the applicants. And before we get into the schedule of the information sessions, which are, there's a lot of them that are going to be available for people to, to get more information about this, can you explain what the difference between a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon is? Well, of course, a tr- what they call a transitional deacon is a man who's called to the priesthood. So mm-hmm. he's usually only a deacon for about a year. Whereas a permanent deacon, they are not going to go on to the priesthood. As you know, they're allowed to be married, uh, unlike transitional deacons. So that's the basic difference. But it's the same order in the church. They both receive the same sacrament of holy orders. And a deacon can be married at the time of his ordination, but if his wife would die... They're not supposed to get remarried, is that correct? Right, they're not allowed to remarry. Actually, that's the same in the Orthodox Church, which has married priests. Um, They can't get married after ordination. But that's been a longstanding tradition in the church from the early centuries. So, yes, so if a a wife would die, they are expected to, to live a celibate life at that point. Can you give us a little history lesson about the the past and the history of deacons in the church? Well, they go back. You see them in the scriptures. Um, you see in St. Paul's letters, sometimes he addresses it to, in Greek, the episkopoi and diakonoi. We would translate that, the bishops and the deacons. The okay. deacons were the assistants to the bishop. They were very active in the first centuries of the church. Often they were entrusted with the care of the poor, charitable works. We think of, for example, St. Lawrence, who was a deacon and martyr. He was the archdeacon in Rome, so he was the Pope's right-hand man in taking care of the the poor and also managing the financial affairs of the church. Mm -hmm. But they also, you know, exercise a ministry of the word. They are able to preach at the liturgy. And in the sanctifying area, they're ordinary ministers of the sacrament of baptism. They can celebrate funeral rites outside Mass. They can celebrate the rite of marriage outside Mass. So they have some of those duties as well. And, you know, the the permanent deacons in our diocese, I'm so grateful to them. Mm -hmm. They really do, in a very humble way and kind of oftentimes behind the scenes, are really doing wonderful service. And I want to mention, too, the wives of our permanent deacons. Such great women, you know, who support not only support the, the ministry of their husbands, but also themselves oftentimes are very involved in, sure. in, uh, in the apostolates in the parish. What do you look for in somebody that's applying or interested in becoming a deacon? Or what should somebody who's discerning this, what should they be looking for in themselves to see if this is something that's calling them? Yeah. You know, there are certain qualities we look for. It's similar to what we look for in candidates for the priesthood. Obviously, we want mature men who are men of deep faith, who also have the good human qualities as far as um, affability and kindness and all the regular virtues, especially the Christian virtues. We look for also those who can really assume leadership position. Mm-hmm. Um 
That's important, too, because deacons are leaders. They're spiritual leaders. We look for men who have the academic or intellectual ability to know the faith real well because they should be able to preach and to teach the faith. So that's another important quality. And we want men of prayer. It's very important that, uh, that we choose men who have a, a serious spiritual life, a regular spiritual life. Certainly we want men of good reputation who are good husbands and if they're parents, good fathers. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty thorough process for screening and, and discerning applicants. It can be pretty difficult if a man is not accepted who applies, and I always feel bad about that, but it, but it shouldn't be seen as, as something negative. It should be seen as, okay, maybe it just doesn't have the particular gifts or the particular skills for the diaconate, but that doesn't mean he's any less uh, fervent a Catholic or sure. whatever. And then I know some of our deacons in the diocese work full-time for the church. They'll be on the staff. Uh, some of them have other jobs that they work. How does that work? Is that up to the deacon to decide, or is that something that he would discern with you or the diocese? Well, it's really up to him to decide. Okay. I mean, obviously, if he wants to work for the church, he would go through the process that anyone else would in applying for a particular job. But the majority of them have other employment. The majority, their work for the church is volunteer. Mm-hmm. So it's not work that's, that they're paid for unless they were hired in a position that has a salary. But but most deacons are what they do. They're not paid for their service that they do in the parish or in the diocese. If a man has a secular job or even a job with the church, one of the things in the discernment is whether he can balance his duties at home and if he has work responsibilities Mm -hmm. and then the diaconal responsibilities. Obviously, we would not accept a man who we didn't think was able to balance that because his marriage and his family need to come first. So that has to be very carefully discerned. How long is the training educational program for the diaconate? It's four years. The first year is called aspirancy, followed by three years of candidacy. So it's a four-year program of academic and spiritual and pastoral formation. Mm -hmm. We have excellent formators and professors, but it's a pretty rigorous program. So someone would have to have the time to devote to to it. And you said this new program starts in 2019. And we're about to finish up this one that was Spanish-speaking. When is the last time you had an English-speaking class? It was early on as bishop. It had already been in process under Bishop Darcy, and I think I was here just a year or two and then ordained that class of uh, 11 permanent deacons. But, Kyle, I can't remember if it was 2011 or 2012. I I forget. Is it normal for it to be that far spaced out? There's really no normal. I mean, each diocese is different. I mean, some dioceses have regular programs that run very continuously. We didn't have in our diocese a permanent deacon program for many, many years uh-huh. um, before the, that class that you just mentioned. I'd say it was probably 20-some years okay. since they had a diaconal ordination in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. So... I see the good that our deacons do, and I thought, yeah, it's it's time to to uh, start another another class. Do you have a number in your head of what would be a good size for this class? 
Well, you know, that's a good question. There was some talk in our board about it. We wouldn't want it to be too large. We also look at pastoral needs, like we just don't ordain men for, you know, there has to be a, uh, a need. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would guess maybe around 20 or 25 max, but we'll have to wait and see. We'll yeah. have to see how many apply, and we'll have to see that we would have placements for all of them. Where do the classes take place? Well, this class of Hispanic candidates, they've been at uh, Lindenwood Retreat Center in Donaldson, Mm -hmm. and that's also where the classes were in the prior English class. And we may use that again, or we might look for a place uh, more central in the diocese, like somewhere in the Warsaw area. We really haven't decided that yet. Okay. Because some of the, in the past, the weekend sessions that they have are overnight. So Lindenwood had the facilities for an overnight stay. Now we're looking at whether we're going to have overnight or not. I mean, there would be overnight retreats in that, but we also have been discussing possible full day Saturday and maybe a weekday evening. So all that's still in the discussion stages. But, you know, we do have the information sessions and there mm-hmm. are going to be quite a few throughout the diocese during the month of January and one in February. And they'll be posted on the diocesan website. And I think Redeemer Radio, you may be posting it too. And then it'll be advertised in today's Catholic and all that. So anyone interested, I know the first information session is going to be at St. Matthew's Cathedral, the cafeteria of the school on January 10th, just a week from today at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. So I know that's the first one. And I I think even a few days later at St. Pius X in in Granger on January 13th at 10 a.m. at their Parish Life Center. And I believe in the Fort Wayne area, the first session will be on January 29th at St. Jude's parish hall in the church basement at 7 p.m. But there are several others as well. And there will also, in the middle of the diocese, we'll have sessions in Warsaw and in Albion. So there'll be plenty of opportunities for anyone who wants to learn more. And people can go to diocesefwsb.org slash deacon for more information about the program and the information sessions and all that. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Coming up, we're going to take a look at some of the feast days that are happening here soon and what 2018 looks like for the diocese. And the Catholic Word of the Week is Epiphany. And we'll take questions submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman. And the Epiphany is going to be celebrated this Sunday, January 7th. And so we thought maybe the Catholic word of the week could be the word epiphany. So do we know where that word comes from? Yes, it comes from the Greek and it means manifestation or revelation. Okay. So it's God revealing himself, God manifesting himself. And Uh of course, we know God reveals himself in creation. And it's interesting how the Magi follow the star, you know? And so we have our creator and we can come to knowledge of God through creation. So that's one way God reveals himself. Mm -hmm. But God also revealed himself in history, especially he revealed himself progressively to the people of Israel, the chosen people. And, you know, we know his he manifested himself to to the patriarchs and to the prophets. But then what we just celebrated in the fullness of time, God revealed himself fully through his son 
mm-hmm. the Word made flesh. So on the Feast of the Epiphany, we celebrate, we remember, and we celebrate Christ's manifestation to the Gentiles. In other words, the revelation not just to the Jewish people, but to all the peoples of the earth who are represented by the Magi who came from other nations. So in a sense, we could say God's revelation in his son, it's for all the nations and peoples of the world who are represented really by the Magi. Do you enjoy the Feast of Epiphany, Kyle? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think it's something that I need to think about more. It's kind of one of those things that sneaks up in me and I realize, oh, I really didn't do much to prepare or plan or do anything special for it. But yeah. uh, it, it is an important part of our yeah. liturgical calendar. And, and Yeah, and in some countries, it's a big feast. Yeah. It's a national holiday. I remember I was down in Puerto Rico once for the Feast of the Epiphany. It's a big day, even bigger than Christmas in some places. A lot of countries have kept January 6th as the Feast of the, of the Epiphany, and they have gift-giving on Epiphany rather than Christmas. So uh-huh. it's an interesting thing. Um, it's probably celebrated in a bigger way, in uh, especially countries that are more uh, Catholic or even among the Orthodox, it's a big, big feast. And I have a question. Do you, how, I want to see how much you know about okay. the Epiphany. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that they came from the East, right? Okay. Kyle, where did they come from in the East, do you know? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, is it, do we know the actual physical location that they came from? Well, the actually, or, like we don't Orient? know for sure. But, that, but I, I'm saying that to, okay. to just tease you because I love reading about the different theories about what sure. happened. And uh, so there's some scholars who think that they came from Persia. Okay. And sometimes you'll see them in nativity sets in Persian attire. Mm-hmm. And uh, Persia is what is today the country of Iran. Oh, okay. Um, but then there are other scholars who think that they came from Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. Hmm. Um, and that's an interesting thing. And then there are others who think that they came from the Arabian Peninsula, which is present-day Saudi Arabia. Wow. But, you know, the key thing is they came from the east. Wherever they came from, they were not Jewish. Uh-huh. They were Gentiles. And they were probably astrologers or astronomers. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, they observed the heavens. Yeah. They studied the stars. We call them sometimes uh, wise men because they were men of wisdom. They had religious and philosophical wisdom. That's why we call them wise men. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes we refer to them as kings. Right. You know the song, We Three Kings? Right. But that idea of associating the Magi with the kings really comes from one of the Psalms of the Old Testament, Psalm 72, which says that the kings of Tarshish and the isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. And the Psalm says, all kings shall pay him homage. So that's one of the reasons, but it doesn't say in the gospel that they were kings. It's kind of one of those things that looking back in the Old Testament, the idea that they were kings because of these prophecies. You know, one of the interesting things is uh, usually we we have in our nativity scenes camels with the Magi. Now, Kyle, does the Gospel of Matthew say anything about camels? Uh, I don't know. Nope. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah mentions caravans of camels arriving in Jerusalem. And if you listen 
to that reading, the word is dromedaries. Uh huh. Did you ever know what a dromedary was? This is trivia for everyone who's listening and for you. Is it a type of camel? It is. Really large, from Arabia. Okay. And they have one hump on right. their backs. The D was one hump. There's another one that has begins with a B, and that has two humps. Yeah, and I forget what that is. That <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, that's a dromedary. Okay. And Isaiah says that all from Sheba shall come bearing gold and frankincense. Okay. So again, no wonder the story of the Magi became associated with these Old Testament prophecies. Sure. I just find these details interesting to yeah. study. But I mean, that's not the center of the meaning of the epiphany, but it's interesting to think about it. The, the real important thing is that these wise men from the East journeyed in search of the Messiah, mm -hmm. which teaches us that the universal significance of the birth of Jesus, that it wasn't just for the Jewish people, but for all people. And in a sense, when you think at Christmas, we think about the shepherds, and they came and adored the infant Jesus in the manger. Mm -hmm. They really represent the people of Israel. They were Jews. Hmm. And the Magi, as Gentiles, represent all humanity. And so Christ came into the world for Jews and Gentiles, for all people. So it's a beautiful feast. And of course, the star, you know, there are a lot of theories also. I yeah. mean, I've read a lot about what that was. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because even Pope Benedict speculates about this in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, the first volume. And I was really interested in Pope Benedict's view. But there's some who say it was a comet, uh -huh. like Halley's Comet. Right. You know, and we know from science and astronomy that Halley's Comet appeared in probably about 12 or 11 BC. Others, uh, scientists say it was a planetary conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn because they know that that happened in the year 7 BC. Huh. Um, and others think it was a nova or a supernova, you know, a stellar explosion uh -huh. um, because there was a, a nova that is reported to have been sighted in the year 5 or 4 BC. Wow. So it's very interesting yeah. that scientists have gotten and astronomers have gotten into studying about this star. But whatever it was, the Magi followed the star toward this land of the Jews. And you can say that, the, they, that it was creation that pointed them to their creator. Mm -hmm. That's what I think about when I think of the star. That the signature of God exists in creation. So when we see the beauty of the universe and we see the order of the universe, we come to a knowledge of God as the origin and the end of the universe. So these magi, these wise men, use the eyes of their reason to search for the meaning of reality. And so they followed this bright star with the desire to find truth. And of course, we know what happened and they arrived and in King Herod's palace and and they learned when they were there from the uh, I guess from I think it was from the uh, the priests and the the scribes that were there in Herod's palace they learned the prophecy of Micah from the Old Testament they would not I don't think have known that and the prophecy of Micah was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem mm -hmm. you know the star had taken them there to Jerusalem but they knew to go on to Bethlehem 
when they learned this from the chief priests and the scribes. And so when they left Herod's palace, actually the gospel says the star reappeared and, and led them to the place where the child was. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that they didn't find the Son of God in the palace of the king. They found him, or in the great city of Jerusalem, they found him in this little town of Bethlehem, which is just a few miles outside Jerusalem. So they found the king of of the world, the king of the Jews, among the poor and the humble, and they found him in the arms of his mother Mary. And uh, St. Matthew tells us that they prostrated themselves and did him homage. So I hope everyone um, has a very blessed epiphany and, and, and kind of reflects on the wise men and what they can teach us. And uh, also they presented those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, with, which are gifts of, of great meaning. And uh, we uh, are called to offer our gifts to the Lord. Well, and I never thought about it until you were just explaining it, but God appeared to the shepherds in the form of an angel or had angels lead them which would have spoken to their faith but right. then had the star reveal it to the wise men which would have spoken to their right. not being jewish and, and probably not, being astrologers yeah men who studied the stars that yeah god communicates to us in whatever language we need to hear that's right. He reveals himself to us. That's great. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, we're not going to have a whole lot of time to go into detail about it, but the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord will be Monday, January 8th. And this, correct me if I'm wrong, marks the end of the official Christmas season? It does. So so really, the, the, the church's liturgical season of Christmas ends with the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Sometimes it's on a Sunday. This year, it's on the day after the Epiphany, on a Monday. And um, again, it's another manifestation when you think about it. It's another revelation because when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, we have a revelation of the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. which is really amazing because there you have in the water, the Son of God become man, the second person of the Trinity. Right. But it says that the the skies were opened and the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved Son. So you have God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And then, of course, you have the descent of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove Mm -hmm. at Jesus' baptism. So in a sense, the mystery of the epiphany, God's revelation of himself takes place also on the feet on on the at the baptism of jesus so these are all beautiful feasts that we celebrate but the question with jesus baptism is why does a man who hasn't sinned need to be baptized yeah he did not need to to be baptized john's baptism was a baptism of repentance jesus had nothing to repent for yeah but he came to earth to carry our sins he stood in solidarity with sinful humanity he didn't have to but that's that's why he came to earth to save us from our sins so even though he didn't need to be baptized it showed that he came to be in solidarity with us sinners who who do need baptism and we say also he sanctified the waters yeah which is a beautiful thing to think by by being the waters of baptism by being baptized himself Mm -hmm. all right well any 
New Year's resolutions for the diocese for 2018? Any goals or something that you'd like to see happen this year? That's a good question. Um, I don't think too much about New Year's resolutions. Sometimes I think about them personally, but, but I really think that for the diocese, my goals aren't really different. I would say that uh, continuing the work of evangelization, mm-hmm. continuing the outreach to those who are on the peripheries, like Pope Francis is calling to do, us to do, the poor and those who are hurt, those who are suffering. And I would say a special emphasis on ministry with young adults, because we know that, that, that the millennial generation and young adults, that's the largest growing group of those who are becoming disaffiliated hmm. with the church or with religion in general. So I think we have to increase our activities and pastoral outreach with young adults. So that's kind of one of my top, top priorities. Yeah. All right. And also, I guess we can keep our all of those that are discerning the diaconate in our prayers this year. Definitely. Too. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we will ask questions submitted by listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here asking questions that you've submitted. Our first question comes from Father Dennis Benedetto from St. Charles in Fort Wayne. It says, Mother Seton is one of my closest friends among the saints and was very instrumental in my vocation. After your years in Emmitsburg, do you have any special stories of how she has interceded for you? Thank you, Father Dennis. Our listeners may be interested in knowing that I've known Father Dennis since he was a college student. When I was rector at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, he was a college student Uh at the the university there. So who would have thought that all these years later I'd be ordaining him to the priesthood and and he'd be serving here in our diocese. But anyhow, I wanted to mention that. But, you know, we're very devoted to Mother Seton because, as you know, she... She lived in Emmitsburg. Mother Seton's shrine is just a couple miles away from from Mount St. Mary's. It's probably less than a couple of miles. It's probably like a mile. Uh-huh. And uh, but anyhow, when she came from New York, she converted to Catholicism and came to Baltimore. The bishop sent her to Emmitsburg to, and that's where she began the religious community, the Daughters of Charity, and also began the first Catholic school in the United States. So if you visit Emmitsburg, you can see the old stone house where she lived with the sisters, and you can also see the White House, they call it, is where she started the first Catholic school. And of course, she's buried in the beautiful church there, the Basilica of the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. But getting to Father Dennis's question, I've always had devotion to her. When I went to Mount St. Mary's at the age of 17 to college, it was in the year 1975. I was there just two weeks, and she was canonized the first U.S.-born saint. Uh So there were big celebrations in Emmitsburg that day. Thousands and thousands of people came. Of course, she was canonized in Rome by Pope Paul VI, but there were local celebrations. So I'd say I've had devotion to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton since then. Just an incredible life story, and especially her conversion to the faith. And But also, her holiness was so, um, so evident. I usually ask for Mother Seton's intercession 
in the areas of Catholic education and mm -hmm. Catholic schools because I really think she was a pioneer in our country in that area. So sometimes when I have a particular, you know, like where I need to appoint a principal or something like that, yeah. I'll ask for her intercession. But I, I can't think of any times where I've asked for any special personal favors of Mother Seton. But, but yeah, you know, she's such a great role model for religious sisters, but also for wives and mothers because, you know, she had five children. Hmm. Her, her, a great example for widows because she was widowed and it was after her husband died that she converted and then she founded the Daughters of Charity. So she's a beautiful model for converts and for widows for wives and mothers as well, and for religious sisters. It's like all those vocations in one person. Well, this is good timing for this because tomorrow is her feast day, the 4th, and you'll actually be saying a mass at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne at 9 a.m. if people are interested in joining for that. Yeah, it's a school mass. Oh, good. Yeah, a school mass there. Yeah. And it's great that we have a parish in our diocese named in honor of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Yeah. Well, one of our listeners asked, how does the bishop choose the seminaries where the seminarians study? Does the bishop have any oversight on the curriculum or activities of the seminarians? Our parish priest went to a different seminary from the two where our seminarians are currently studying. Well, I obviously look to find a seminary where I think the formation program is very good and very strong. Mm -hmm. I want our future priests to have the best education possible, and not just in the academic, but also in the spiritual area and the pastoral area. Mm -hmm. So I look very carefully, not only at the programs that the seminaries offer, but also even the community life, because they're also formed by, by living in a healthy and, and good environment in the community. So, of course, Mount St. Mary's is very close to my heart because I work there and serve there. But I'm also really impressed by the faculty and the rector there. So I know our men are getting really good, solid formation. Mount St. Mary's is really a special place. It's, uh, as we just talked about, very close to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, but mm -hmm. also goes back to 1808. I mean, it's formed priests for, for over 200 years. The, um, the other thing I would say is I now send men who are college seminarians to Bishop Simon Brute Seminary in Indianapolis, and that's because I've been so impressed by the formation they have there. They have some excellent priests there mm -hmm. who are real good examples and role models for our college seminarians. They take their classes at Marion University, which is very close by, but then they have their spiritual and pastoral formation at Brute Seminary. So I've been very impressed there. As far as any oversight on my part, well, I'm always looking to see what they're doing, what's, yeah. what the curriculum is, but also what their um, opportunities they have, for example, for spiritual growth, for, you know, we have need for men to learn Spanish, so I want to make sure that that's available for them. I also do some other things. We do some other things in the diocese apart from the seminary. After men, or the summer before they enter theology, I send them to the Institute for Priestly Formation for a summer for 10 weeks, and that's in Omaha, Nebraska. And it's just focused on prayer, on mm -hmm. their prayer life, their spiritual life. And that's really been very, very good. Some men I'll send down to Guatemala to have an immersion experience in Spanish. So I would say I'm pretty 
hands-on when it comes to the formation of our seminarians. I also, we also have a vocation office, which is excellent. The vocation director for the diocese is Father Andrew Buzinski, mm-hmm. and he's doing a very good job. He's the pastor at St. John the Baptist in Fort Wayne. We have an assistant director of vocations on the South Bend side of the diocese, Father Terry Coonan, who's pastor at St. Therese Little Flower Parish, but also chaplain at St. Joseph High School in South Bend. And we have Christine Bonahum nix who works in our vocation office and is also doing a wonderful job. So it's not just myself alone overseeing things. Sure. It's the vocation office. And I would say every priest really is, is in a sense to be like a vocation director. They should be looking for young men whom God is possibly calling to the priesthood. Yeah. Another question that was submitted is, if someone was baptized by a Catholic priest as an infant but received no further sacraments and is going through RCIA 40 years later, can they initiate their request for an annulment before they have made their first confession and communion? The marriage took place in an evangelical Lutheran church and lasted three years. I just can't imagine that there's no hope. Okay, you know, when you look at marriage cases, there are a lot of things you have to ask about. But sure. but from that question, it would seem to me if this person was baptized Catholic, mm-hmm. even though they didn't receive other sacraments, and uh, they got married in a Lutheran church, if they didn't have a dispensation, that was an invalid marriage. Okay. A Catholic needs to be married, you know, unless they have a dispensation in the presence of a priest and two witnesses. So we call that kind of an annulment a, a defect of form. They didn't follow the canonical form of marriage. So that would be a very simple kind of annulment. So I, I would think they should talk to their priest about that. Definitely, they can initiate the request for an annulment or to petition for an annulment before they've made First Communion. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if someone's in RCIA and they, they're in an invalid marriage, they should work get working on that right away. Yeah. There's no need to, to wait. Otherwise, you know, it's always sad if someone is in RCIA and they're in an invalid marriage and then they only maybe realize it or, or realize their need for an annulment, you know, shortly before uh-huh. the Easter vigil and then they aren't allowed. So that's always very sad. So I would say, really, that should be determined at the very beginning of RCIA. Okay. All our RCIA directors and our priests need to, to know the marriage situation of those who attend RCIA so that if there is the need for an annulment, that they get working on that as soon as possible. Sure. All right. Well, you can ask your question by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 260- Four three six ninety five ninety eight, and we have more of your questions, and we still need to settle the Cupertino Classic wager coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've submitted, and this question comes from Jan Watts from the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Fort Wayne. The Epiphany always makes me think about incense. I don't know the proper names for the incense that are used at Mass. I like traditional incense rather than the one that smells like soap. Who gets to decide what incense is used, especially for the Easter Vigil Masses, when it burns continually? That's interesting. I guess the parish gets their own incense. So, I mean, I guess the the pastor may choose, uh-huh. or maybe he has someone else in the parish order the incense and choose the kind of incense. 
but um, I've never been involved in that. I don't even remember when I was a pastor that I actually, I think someone else in the parish took care of getting the incense. But I, yeah, it's interesting. I, when I have masses and when incense is used, I do notice sometimes, you know, some I like better than others, the smell. But yeah, that's, how, that's handled in, uh, in, on the parish level. And it could be the priest or it could be someone else that he has ordering the incense. So you don't voice your opinions and preferences? I don't think so. I remember once I, I bought incense when I was in the Holy Land. It really oh, smelled yeah. good. And I bought some and brought it back and had it used at the cathedral. But that's probably the only time <laughs> I remember getting involved in that. Yeah. Is the incense specially made for liturgies or is it just kind of generic incense that? You can get either, I think. There okay. are incenses that are that are, you know basically for the liturgy, but I think you could get other kinds too. Okay. Our final question is, what is your favorite non-religious book? Oh my goodness. Well, I think I might've mentioned on the program before. I love reading history books. Right. I like reading good biographies or autobiographies, but I really can't pinpoint one particular favorite non-religious book. I'd uh -huh. probably have to think harder about that. But generally, it's, it's history-type books. All right. Well, thank you once again, Bishop, for taking time out of your schedule to meet with us today. Before we do our settling of the Cupertino Classic wager, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Well, Bishop, we had the Cupertino Classic last week and we placed a wager on the game. Uh, we can maybe listen back to what we had said there. Sure. All right, so if the seminarians win, then I will write and play a song on the show, on the ukulele. Uh, but if the priests win, then you will read a bedtime story for my kids. You got a deal. Deal. All right. We'll shake on it. Shake. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's official. And so now, since the seminarians won, I guess I have to hold up my end of the bargain and sing a song. That's right. Congratulations to our seminarians. I had all the confidence in the world that they were going to win. Our priests are getting older, you know, and they're a little slower. I noticed that, you know, I think we got they got to work out a little bit more. I just want to say to our to our priests who played the game. But good effort, guys. All right. Well, here is my song. Uh, I wrote it about you, Bishop. <laughs> Bishop Rhodes, you know he is a great man. He leads our church better than anyone in the state can. We should have a parade complete with calliopes for the Bishop of the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese. Bishop, Bishop Rhodes, he's smarter than you are, there's no doubt. Bishop, Bishop Rhodes, when he comes by, the people always shout, Bishop Rhodes. <laughs> his motto and his show, both truth and charity. He promotes Catholic principles like subsidiarity. 
You can tell right away why he has popularity. We wish for him a long life full of prosperity. Bishop, Bishop Rhodes. He's smarter than you are, there's no doubt. Bishop, Bishop Rhodes. When he comes by, the people always shout. Bishop Rhodes. He dressed up like Batman when he was a kid. He's been to Rome, the Middle East, Sydney, and Madrid. He likes to eat black olives, in case you didn't know. Well, you would have known if you listened to his show, Bishop. Bishop Rhodes. He's smarter than you are, there's no doubt. Bishop. Bishop Rhodes, when he comes by, the people always shout, Bishop, Bishop Rhodes, he's answering your questions, I know, wow, Bishop, Bishop Rhodes, he's probably praying for you right now, Bishop Rhodes. Oh my goodness, Kyle, thank you, <laughs> that was so funny, but... Oh, I'm speechless. <laughs> well, you won fair and square. Oh, the, thank you. I got to send that to my sister and the family. They'll get kicked out of that. <laughs> yeah.